Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. You here today. Um, we pray for you often. We prayed for you this morning. Um, so we're excited that you're here this morning. Uh, please uh, hear what Mary said. Come to the picnic. Bring as many people as you know, and um, you don't have to bring anything. We want you to be our guests. have one quick announcement before we get into the sermon. And uh, this is an announcement Dave made a few weeks ago. We have a response team that we began to formalize in January, and the purpose of that team is to develop strategies and guidelines to promote a safe and secure environment for Saving Grace Church. And so that team is well underway, and that team is divided into three sub-teams, which is a safety team. You might see um, guys wearing safety badges today. Uh, today is the first day that they started. Um, a medical team and a children's ministry team. And the, the whole purpose of these teams is it's men and women in the church volunteering to just think through safety issues in the church so we can gather safely together. Uh, we're going to talk a lot more about this at our members meeting. So if you have any questions, you can contact me or, or Dave Marshall, and we'd be happy to answer any questions. And some of you have expressed um, desires to be involved, so if that's a thing, please let us know as well. All right, this time, if you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And our primary passage today is going to be Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, we want to encounter you this morning, and we pray we would be different this afternoon than we were this morning when we woke up. We would, we would have a, a fresh vision of you. We would do what we, we sang this morning. We ask you would open our hearts, and we would see Jesus as, as more brilliant and satisfying, and, and Lord, we pray that we would all encounter you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, last week, we started a series called Church on a Mission, and so today is week two of Church on a Mission. What we're doing for the next seven weeks is going through our mission statement, which is behind me, uh, which is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. And so last week was kind of the intro message into the sermon, and this week, we're going to focus on the first part of the mission statement, which is to love God. So think of the vertical dimension of your relationship with the Lord. And if you weren't here last week, just to get you caught up, we get our mission statement from two different parts of the book of Matthew. The first is this in Matthew 22, uh, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. And so from these verses, we get to love God and love others. So we, we, you can't say that you love the Lord and, and hate others. The two do not work together. If we genuinely know Jesus and we love the Lord, it will show up in how we love others. And then the, 
the, the, one of the greatest expressions of love for others is introducing people to Jesus, which brings us to Matthew 28. Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's where we get reach the world. So the tail end of the series will emphasize that. But today we're going to talk about how do we grow in our love for God. And we're going to really kind of hone in on one word, which is devoted. Uh, I think it's a good word that captures uh, the Bible's call for followers of Jesus to be devoted. And the primary passage we're going to look at to stir us up is Romans 12, 1 through 2. So if you have that, read along. I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God, which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, Paul is calling us calling believers in Jesus to be all in, fully devoted to the Lord. So I want to ask you a devotional diagnostic test, okay? And you just answered in your head. Are you devoted to the Lord? Would you say, I am wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. I love the Lord with my, my mind, with my soul, with all my being. Is your life a sacrifice, a living sacrifice to the Lord? Is your life one of worship and devotion? Would your friends, co-workers, classmates, teammates, neighbors describe you as one who is devoted to the Lord, devoted to Jesus? Another way to think about it is, are you all in in your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is that relationship your primary priority in your life? Does Jesus have your passions and affections? Does your mind and heart gravitate towards the things of the Lord, or does it gravitate away from the Lord? See, in Romans 12, 1 through 2, the Apostle Paul is making this strong appeal Look at verse 1 again. I appeal to you. Depending on your Bible translation, it may say, I urge you. Or I think the King James says, I beseech you. Or I beg you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. It's a strong appeal. And so this morning, we're going to walk through Romans 12, and we're going to think about it. And if you're not familiar with the book of Romans, really to understand Romans 12, 1 and 2, you have to have a kind of a general idea of what he has been talking about in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11. Because the word therefore in verse 1 
isn't just referring back to chapter 11, but most scholars think it, it has the whole of Paul's argument from chapter 1 through chapter 11, where we, we, we see and learn of God's incredible mercy towards undeserving sinners. And in light of all that, we're to be living sacrifices. We're to be all in in our relationship with the Lord. So we're going to walk through um, chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, but we're going to go back a little bit into the book of Romans so that, that we can, can really understand the, the, uh, the weight and the reasons that we should be all in. Because if you just start at verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it just seems like one more thing we need to do that we're not really doing that well at. Like, maybe there's one or two of you thought when I asked those questions, you're like, I'm awesome. I am passionate. I am devoted. In fact, I was praying as you were asking those questions and I was memorizing the Bible while you were talking. But the rest of us are like, ouch, ooh, that, that doesn't feel good. I want to be that, but I'm not that yet. Well, if that's you, you're in great company. We're going to look at four points from this verse. What, first point is devotion to God begins with understanding and recognizing our original lost condition. In other words, devotion to God starts with the bad news of who we are by nature. Recognizing our desperate and lost condition. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, the only reason you're a believer in Jesus is because you receive mercy. Because God is gracious. So let's go through some bad news. Because appreciating the bad news and what the rescue entailed when Jesus saved you will uh, naturally make you want to be devoted to the Lord. So this is what Paul says in Romans 3. This is part of the big therefore. What then? Are, are we Jews any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, so this is the indictment on humanity. None is righteous, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside and together have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues deceive. The venom of poisonous snakes is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood in the past or ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There's no fear before their eyes. And what the Apostle Paul is doing, he's actually quoting a lot of the Old Testament in this description of who we are by nature. And this should make sense to us if you pay attention to the world around us. If you look at your newsfeed on your phone or you watch the news or you read a paper, and you see all the bad things that are happening all across our globe. Well, a lot of smart people come up with lots of reasons for all those things. But at the root of the, the cause is the human heart is corrupt by nature. We are, we are wicked. We, we choose sin over obedience to the Lord. And that's our natural condition. Paul says it this way in verse 22 and 23, for there is no distinction, 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All humanity. So God's standard is perfection. And we've all fallen short. That includes religious moral people. And it includes people that do really, really, really bad things. All fall short of God's perfect standard. And all are in need of a Savior. The condition is so severe that nothing you or I can do will will make up for what we've already done against the Lord. It's an impossible condition to remedy on ourselves. Paul says it this way, For by the works of the law, by trying to be obedient, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. In other words, there's nothing you or I can do that will be enough for God to accept us because we've sinned against him. We broke his perfect standard. That's the bad news. But understanding that bad news will have everything to do with you being devoted to the Lord. See, when Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, or I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's writing to people in Rome who have received mercy from God. And that mercy, the awareness of that mercy, magnifies their devotion to the Lord. It it causes them to want to be devoted to the Lord, which brings us to the second point. Devotion to God begins with understanding, believing, and responding to the mercies of God. My points are a little wordy this morning. Devotion to God begins with understanding, believing, and responding to the mercies of God. See, long before the Lord's asking us to do things, He's wanting us to be aware of how much He loves us, how gracious He has been to us, how merciful He has been to you and I. And and so when He's writing this, Paul, when he wrote the book of Romans, he wrote it in a very systematic way under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he's going to use big words that are dense at times to get these these theological realities that men and women who have trusted in Christ have experienced so that we would know how amazing our salvation is. And one such section is in Romans 3. And we're going to walk through it. And as we walk through it, I'm going to try to explain it to you. Because at face value, you might be thinking, well, this is dense and it's technical and it's using words that I don't normally use. But I want you to listen carefully. Because the words that Paul uses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, are meant to cause you to rejoice, to be amazed, to to come to the reality of the conclusion, I cannot believe this is true for me. This seems too good to be true. So he starts in verse 21 of chapter 3. But now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So he just said, you're all condemned. You're all guilty. You've all um, broken God's law. Consequently, you are objects of wrath. You are deserving of hell. 
the human race, this is the indictment upon us. But then he breaks into verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, apart from having to do things to achieve God's favor. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, what he's saying here is that there is now a way because Jesus came to earth who was fully God, fully man, and died upon the cross for sinful people to be covered and clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness. So imagine if you came to church and you looked and you're, oh no, my pants are stained, my shirt is stained, um, I'm just a mess. And then someone gives you a, a coat or a blanket that's just like brilliant in colors and they just put it over top of you. So you can't see any of the mess anymore. That's what happened the moment you turned to Jesus Christ. His perfect righteousness covers you like a blanket. So when God the Father looks upon you, he sees Jesus' perfect obedience. He does not see your sin anymore. It is covered under the righteousness of Christ. That is true for any and all who turn to Jesus. So you could have done really bad things, serious sins and crimes against the Lord and against others, but you turned, you repented, and you trusted in Jesus, and this blanket of righteousness covers you. It's a one-time act that happens immediately at salvation. You will never be more justified, as the word Paul uses, than you were that moment you trusted in Jesus. Now, you'll be more sanctified. You'll be more like Jesus as the years go on, but you will be positionally as secure when you are 100 as you were that first day you trusted in Jesus. So let's keep working our way through Romans 3. For all have sinned, fall short of the glory of God, and are justified, declared righteous, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we're declared righteous. We're justified. That's a legal term. So picture the courtroom. Picture a judge. Picture your crimes being presented before the court. Picture yourself saying, I am guilty as charged. Picture the judge saying, you are guilty. But because of my mercy, my son who is not guilty is going to swap places with you. My son who is not guilty is willing to take your punishment. And the exchange is going to happen and his perfection, his perfect record is going to be credited to you. The exchange happens. And not only that, but my son redeemed you. That's, a, that's an accountant term. He purchased you. With his blood, he cleansed you and paid for you. You are bought and paid for and are adopted into my family. Not only that, but you are now free from the power of sin. Part of this redemption, this purchase, was you're no longer a slave of your passions and desires. He continues, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Now that word is not a word that we often use, and you might think, I don't even know that word. If you're a Christian, that's a really important word to know. 
Propitiation means that when Jesus hung on the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God upon himself. And the wrath of God was removed from all who would look to Jesus. So rather than us absorbing the wrath of God in hell because of our sins, Jesus was the satisfaction for God. He absorbed the wrath for us. That, that word is just dense with truth that should liberate you. So if you've turned to Jesus, you are not guilty any longer. You are forgiven. You will never experience God's eternal punishment for sin because Jesus took your place on the cross and died as your substitute. That is good news. He goes on to say, God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. That's where we come in. Lord, I believe you died in my place. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, picture God the Father as the judge. So a judge that overlooks crimes that are real is not a just judge because he would be, in our maybe culture, would be seen as a crooked judge. Oh, he just, he just is, you know, has favoritism. He doesn't uphold the law. He doesn't uphold and protect the victim. That's, that's not a good judge. But God the Father devised a plan where he could be a good judge, he could be perfectly just, but he could actually justify the guilty at the same time. And the way he was able to do that was having his son Jesus die as a substitute for sins. Jesus, who never did one single thing wrong in his entire life. Jesus, who was absolutely perfect, even in his thought life. Never a sinful thought, let alone a sinful action. And Jesus, because he loves you, was willing to die in your place. Paul says this in Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So back to our main verse, chapter 12, verse 1. I urge you, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. In other words, in light of what Jesus has done for you, in light of the, the fact that you are heaven-bound, in light of the fact that you are God's adopted sons and daughters, go all in for Jesus, which is the third point, devotion to God, should be the all-consuming aim of the Christian life. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The Apostle Paul is kind of having a play on words with the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, before Jesus came and died as the once-for-all sacrifice, there had to be numerous sacrifices of animals, over and over and over again. But he's saying now that Jesus has come, 
The kind of sacrifice you need to do is a living sacrifice. Your life, your gifts, your talents, your resources, all that you are at the core of your being, make that an act of worship for the Lord. Not to gain his approval or his acceptance because you have that in Jesus, but because you have that. Because you've been the recipient of unimaginable mercy and love, the response is, I am all in, completely devoted. Now you might be thinking, well, that's just not me. It's not my personality. I don't believe you. Let me tell you why. If you're a Steelers fan um, and you go to a Steelers game, I'm going to guess you go all in. You're not just wearing uh, a regular shirt. You're, you're going all in. I know we have some Eagles fans here too, and apparently we have some Slippery Rock fans, which you are welcome to be here. Um, but you go all in. I mean, you, people go all in, in at Steelers games. They go all in on whatever your thing is. We all have a thing. Um, whatever that, that thing is, your mind gravitates towards it. Your money gravitates towards it. Your energy, your excitement, your passions. And those things are not wrong. You can, if they're in the proper place, they can be real gifts from God to enjoy. But I know we have a number of athletes in the room this morning. Just think how dedicated you are to your sport, whatever that sport is. You are all in. You are all in in, in the workouts. You're all in in the, the strategy. You're all in on the scoping out of other teams and their strategies and their their athletes you're all in and you you gravitate towards those things because you are all in we all have things like that and those things can be gifts from God to enjoy where we get in trouble is when we make them our number one whatever that would be see one way to think about this sermon today is think that this really is a recipe for joy, for satisfaction. One of my prayers is that one of the effects would be you would, you would find your joy in God himself. You would delight in him more and more. John Piper famously has said this many, many times and has really devoted his entire ministry to this statement. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. A a, a word that comes to mind is, is delight. So when you think of loving God, a place to start is finding your delight, your joy in him as you sing to him, as you read his word, as you talk to him, as you are out in his creation. Lord, your, your creation is glorious. It is beautiful. It is amazing. And I can't imagine what heaven is going to be like. See, the more you find joy and delight in the Lord, the more satisfied you will be. Now, this doesn't mean that, that we have to leave all things that we we find enjoyment from at all. They just have to be in their proper place. We don't want to make them little gods that we bow down to and worship. We want them to be gifts from God that we enjoy. 
The Apostle Paul has this great verse in 1 Corinthians 10. He says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So whatever that thing is that you like to do, do all for the glory of God. I like to ride bikes. Yesterday, I I rode my bike from my house to here to to pick up a car, and it was just a beautiful day, and and it it was just going through fields and different hillsides, and it was just a beautiful, glorious day that, Lord, that is a gift from you that I enjoy, and I want you to have all the glory. So the anchor is in what Christ has done for you, and then that should have an effect on how we respond, which is the final point. Devotion to God expresses itself in life transformation. If we are truly believers in Jesus and devoted to him, there will be an effect that others will see, that you will even experience. Paul says it this way in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you might discern What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable? So the world is bombarding us with this will make you happy. This will make you happy. Um, The just what social media does and how they figure out what we like and want to see. And I mean, they just are, are just picking us apart on holding out promises of joy and satisfaction. And, and somehow they, the algorithm figures it out that, Oh, this is something Joe would like, on Monday mornings. Like, how do you know that? Um, and and they, it's all, and it's not necessarily simple, but it, it can be just taking you away from the one who satisfies the most. One of the cool things about this verse, where it says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that word transformed is the word we get metamorphosis from. So it's a radical transformation that Jesus makes possible by the power of God's Holy Spirit that's inside of us. So maybe our, our just clearest example is the, the, the transformation from a caterpillar to a butterfly. I mean, just picture the ugliest caterpillar that you can think of. They're just crawling around with all their little legs. They're chubby. They're, they're just, they, they can go like 10 feet in a day. It's, it's just a terrible life. And, and just think, if you're them... And then you look up and you see all these butterflies flying around. Beautiful, brilliant colors. And, and just imagine, we don't know what, if they, I guess they have some kind of mind, but I don't know what's going on inside their mind. But imagine how shocking it would be to some of them, especially the new ones that are just crawling around. We're, we're, we can be that? That's who we're going to be? That's what is possible for us? It would be shocking. The same way for, for those of you who become Christians, for all of us, that we don't have to be who we were. In fact, it's God's will that you are completely something different. But the change happens from the inside out. Complete transformation. If you're new to, to your relationship with Jesus, You can be expectant that God's going to help you. He's going to change you. He's going to transform you. Some of the the things that you are enslaved to, there will be freedom from. 
We're to expect that this is a risen Christ we follow and He wants to transform us. Liars and thieves can be changed into trustworthy, respectable people that that go to work. People that are raging in anger can become meek and gentle and kind. People that are, are consumed with fear and worry and anxiety as their relationship with the Lord grows, they, they have confidence and trust and peace in the Lord. It is a total and complete transformation. The transformation begins, though, with a renewal of your mind. So as we are in God's Word and as we are praying to the Lord, He's going to renew your mind. He's going to restore your mind. He's going to give you faith and confidence in Him. See, the pathway to Christian change starts in the renewal of the mind by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it shows up in action. R.C. Sproul says it this way, While a change of mind is a necessary condition for transformation, like that has to happen, however, it is not sufficient a sufficient condition. Listen to this. People can study the Word of God Get a perfect score on every theological examination without that knowledge ever getting into the heart. So you can know a whole bunch about the Bible, a whole bunch about theology, and it not penetrating the heart. See, the Lord is after the heart. God has designed us in such a way that the avenue to the heart is through the mind. The book of Romans was given for our understanding so that we would begin to think as Jesus thinks and begin to approve what he approves and despise what he despises. That is how our lives are changed. When we begin to think as Christians, we get a new mind. From that new mind, our heart is changed. And when that heart is changed, our life is changed. That is how we become transformed people. So the Lord has given us a book and He's given us His Spirit. And as we interact with the two, our mind is renewed. We get our truth from His Word and not from the world around us. And then we pray, Lord, change us at the heart level. And as our heart is changed, as our stony heart is changed to flesh and it becomes soft towards the things of the Lord and towards others, then change begins to happen. But we're to be transformed. This past week, Kay McCoy and I met with a a woman in the church, a godly woman who um, loves the Lord, spends time with the Lord, I would say is very devoted to the Lord. And it it was so cool. The main reason she wanted to get together with us is she said, I feel like the Lord... Um, wants to encourage the men of the church. He wants to encourage the men of the church in their passion for the Lord, to not be apathetic towards the things of the Lord, to not have their, their heart's affection and attention go away towards the world, to be vibrant and passionate in the Lord. I, I thought, what a, what a cool response for one part of the church body caring for another part of the church body. So I don't even know what to do. I have some ideas, but I, I don't know what to do, but I just wanted to share it because I really think the Lord brought it to mind to be able to encourage the men 
of Saving Grace Church. And so, men, every Sunday, we, we pray after church. We would love to pray for you. If you just feel like, I used to be more passionate. Now I'm not. The cares of the world are beginning to choke my desires and passions for the Lord. I bought the lie that this will make me happy, not the Lord. If that's you, this could be a really important day for you as you respond to the Lord. Now, it's not just men that, that get entangled to things. It can be all ages, boys and girls, women of all ages. We, we all can drift and get tangled in things that distract us. So let's all collectively pray, Lord, give us your passion, a passion for you, a desire for you to be devoted to you. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of the mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We know what's good and acceptable to the Lord from his word. We also find, if you're still like kind of discouraged, like, I think I'm encouraged, but then I'm not. I, I don't know what's happening today. Uh, listen to these verses in Romans 6. These are connected to the big therefore. So you also, oh no, 6-4. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In other words, we follow Jesus who rose from the dead. That same resurrection power is inside of every believer so that we can walk in newness of life. In other words, you can change. You don't have to do the things that entangle you. There is real freedom for every believer in Jesus. He continues this line of thinking with verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This morning I picked up a friend to bring him to church and as I was out front of his house, I had to drive by a, a place where um, one night when I was in college many years ago, it was just a bad night of sin and I haven't thought about that night for a very long time as I'm driving by. And now it's been like 26 years ago or more, maybe 27 years ago since that happened. And I, and I, I just say that to say that, that that Joe Ryer that was enslaved to all kinds of things was set free, was forgiven, was washed, was cleansed, was justified is being sanctified. And what Paul says here is, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. You, if you are a believer, you are, you've been made alive by God himself. You didn't make yourself alive. He made you alive. So surely, he's going to help you. So just in, in closing here, what can you do to grow in the Lord? One of the things you can do, you, you can express your devotion to the Lord by basking in his love and grace. This is counterintuitive for most Christians. By, by just soaking in the reality that God loves you, 
is filled with grace and mercy. He delights in you. He loves when you look his way. I mean, the image I have, those of you who like the beach or like the pool and like the sun, you know, when you just sit out in the sun for long periods of time and you just bake in the sun, you're basking in the sun. That's what you can do for the Lord. Lord, I just want to spend this week just thinking about who you are and how much you love me. Before I do anything, what you'll find is that will make you more devoted to the Lord than anything you could do. You can express your devotion to the Lord through prayer. Through talking to the Lord. That's all prayer is. Jesus, I need help. Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I want to worship you. Jesus, I want to grow in my passions and desires for you. Think of your closest friends, your deepest relationships. They're deep because there's communication and lots of communication and communication over long periods of time. That's what prayer is. You can express your devotion to the Lord through reading and studying His Word. God gave us a book. One way to look at this book is look at this as like the purest um, river or stream you could imagine. And when you read it, when you encounter it, the Lord is washing you and refreshing you. And, and think about the world and all that it puts out as the, this kind of gross, stagnant pond that has algae and snapping turtles and mosquitoes. And so we can either kind of feast in that or we can be washed in this. See, devotion to the Lord, one of the primary ways to express our devotion, and it will grow our devotion, is spending time in this book. If you do not like to read, Praise God you live in 2023. There are about a thousand things that you can do to interact with the Bible. You can have the Bible read to you every moment that you want. Um, but he gave you a book, so I would pray, Lord, help me to love your word. Help me to read it. Help me to understand it. It's a big, dense book. The Lord will do that for you. And if, if that's you, if you struggle with reading the word, we would love to pray for you. You can express devotion to the Lord through guarding your inner life. Confessing your sins to the Lord and trusted friends. Lord, Lord, help me not to have secret reservoirs of sin in my heart and mind. See, sin is just like mushrooms. Grows great in the dark. Doesn't grow at all in the daylight. Just does not. So one way to be free is to bring it out into the light. Bring it out into the light of the Lord and His Word. Bring it out into the light of God's people. And then lastly, and this is what we're going to do here in a moment, you can express your devotion to the Lord through passionate, exuberant singing. The Lord loves you dearly. The Lord went to great lengths to rescue you and bring you into His family. And so it's only fitting to respond to the Lord with a passionate response. Jesus, thank you for your love and your mercy. Let's all stand and pray, and the band can come up. Lord, we were once your enemies. We were once objects of your holy wrath. We were once just lost, having no idea that this world is yours, and all that's in it is yours, 
and that there's a better way. Lord, as we sing this final song, would you fill us with joy? Would you fill us with excitement for who you are? May we sing in such a way that is filled with faith and joy. Pray for those in the room who haven't experienced joy, especially the joy of their salvation for a long time. Holy Spirit, I, I pray that you would fill them with, their, with your spirit and they'd encounter joy in you. And we want you to be glorified. And we ask this in your name. Amen.